Well, good morning, Chapel Roswell. How are you guys doing this morning? We are so glad that each and every one of you is with us on this beautiful, albeit cold, Sunday morning. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Chapel Roswell. And I'm going to invite my wife, Catherine, to come, and she's going to pray for us this morning. And then I want you to, uh, to think back to last week. For those of you who were here last week, three words that we learned last week, and you're, you're going to have an opportunity to show off your knowledge in just a second. Valuable prizes are at stake, okay? So, Catherine, you're going to pray for us this morning. All right. Good morning, everyone. Let's go to, to God in prayer. Oh, God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the wind. We thank you for the movement of your spirit. God, we know your presence is here this morning. May we choose right now just to step into your presence, to be able to experience you, to be able to feel the warmth of your love, of your grace, of your beautiful forgiveness. God, we love you, and we thank you for um, the, the conviction that you even give us, that conviction, Lord, that draws us closer to you. Your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. And God, we do repent for our self-reliance. God, we, we repent for the barriers that we place up in our hearts, whether that be our pride, our unforgiveness, our hurts, our pains. And God, we just ask this morning, Lord, that you begin to melt away those barriers. As you melt away those barriers, God, may we receive more of who you are so we can then walk more in your freedom and your peace. God, those barriers, they, they keep us from you. They keep us from experience, experiencing your freedom and your love. And, and God, we just, we get, um, the enemy snares us in that. And we think that we are doing ourselves this favor. And we think that we are, you know, keeping it all together. But really, we are, we are um, deceiving ourselves. So, God, we repent for that. May we not deceive ourselves anymore. Because you love us. And you're saying, come to me. Come to me. I love you. I know the hurt you have. I know the pains you have. I know the regrets you have. I know the anger that you have. And I love you anyhow. Come, let me tend to that. Let me tend to you. And God, we thank you for tending to us as your children. Because we need you. Oh God, how we need you. And we thank you, God, for this beautiful world that you've given us to celebrate you. And to experience you in all that you are. Lord, I pray this morning that we would come, come under the teaching of Joe's authority. God, give us eyes, give us a new perspective to hear whatever it is that you want us to hear from you so that we can be changed, transformed, and having a deeper sense of who you are and a deeper sense of your love and your peace. And God, we lift all of these things up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't want you to say anything out loud, okay? Don't say anything out loud, but think about it. Let the, let the wheels kind of turn. There was a, a three-word phrase that we talked about last week that describes our faith and how we come to know Christ. Now, if you think you know it, okay, just raise your hand, and I'm going to come to you. We've got a couple of things that we're going to give you if you get it right, okay? It's like a game show this morning. I've got three prizes to give away. Now, if you're wrong, you're going to get a piece of raw chicken, Okay, now those of you who were here last week, that might make some sense, okay? So, it, it's a word, a long word, four syllables, five syllables, starts with a J, okay? Yeah, what you got for us? Justification by faith. Justification by faith, you got that right. Okay, well done. Anybody over here know it? I'll give you a name. 
No, justification by faith. Now, remember we talked about the word justify. It means to be made right, okay? And it says that we are made right how? Through our actions? No. Through our behavior? No. Through doing good works? No. We are justified by what? By our faith. There was a group of American soldiers who were overseas in Europe. It was just a short trip. It was a peacetime uh, assignment. It really wasn't any, any sort of big deal, a peacetime mission. They really enjoyed their time over there, seeing the sights and the sounds of places like London and Paris and Vienna and Frankfurt. And when Sunday rolled around, one of the American servicemen, he said, you know what, if we were back home right now, I would be in church with my family. And a lot of the other guys nodded in agreement and said, yeah, I'd be in church with my family too. So they said, why don't we go to a local church? Let's just go out. I know we don't speak the language. I don't know where we are, but let's go to a local church. They were in Paris. And one of them said, okay, we can go. I don't speak French. I won't know anything that's going on. But a third soldier weighed in and he said, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's just kind of wait out front. We're going to see somebody who looks like he's a regular guy who goes to church there. Okay, we're going to follow him in. We're going to kind of sit behind him, and, and we're just going to kind of emulate and copy whatever he does, and we'll just kind of look like we fit in. We'll go through the motions, but it will seem like we're back home, like we're going to church with our families. And so that seemed like a decent plan. So all seven of them got dressed up. Uh, they walked down a couple of blocks from their hotel, and there was an old ancient cathedral and they did exactly what their plan said. They just kind of waited out in the lurches until somebody walked in. It was a guy walking in with his young wife, and, and they had a young child. He was carrying a Bible, so they thought, maybe this is our guy. He looks like he's been here before. He looks like he knows what he's doing. So they found their guy. They walked in about halfway down the aisle with this guy, and, and he took a, a seat on his left. His wife sat next to him. Uh, whenever he would stand, and they, they would stand as well. They didn't understand a word that was going on. They didn't know the songs. They didn't know what was going on, any of the liturgy. They didn't know any of the customs or the traditions. But they just emulated everything this guy did. When he would bow in prayer, sure enough, they would bow in prayer. Uh, when he would stand and sing, they would stand and just kind of move their lips around. Uh, when he would sit down, they would sit back down. All was well. They were feeling really good about themselves, in fact. After all, they had made this superhuman effort to attend church on another continent. But towards the end of the service, the minister was speaking in French, as he did the entire service, and the man's wife, okay, the, the, the man in front of the, she, she took their baby down to the pastor. And then the pastor said something in French. Again, they didn't know what he was saying, but, but the man in, in front stood up. And so these seven American servicemen, they all stood up as well. And, and everyone just started laughing. Why are they laughing at us? They got really embarrassed, almost humiliated, and, and they quickly dropped back down into their pews. After the service, they were trying to lurk out, kind of out back without being seen or without uh, making a scene. But the pastor, who, as it turns out, spoke really good English, he intercepted them as they were trying to leave. And, and he thanked them for worshiping at their French church that Sunday morning. And, and, and they had to ask him, you know, why was it when we stood up, the guy in front of us stood up, why was it that everyone laughed at us? And the pastor said, well, you see, we were having a baptism, and we asked if the father would stand. <laughs> yeah, I know, we, we, we laugh at that, but, but the truth is, how often are we guilty of somewhat of the same thing? I know in my life, I certainly have been. We are kind of going through the motions 
for many Christians around the world this morning, they profess Jesus with their lips, but there's no joy, maybe not even any hope in their lives. There's no change brought on by the power and the movement of God's presence or the movement of the Holy Spirit. They're going through the motions. And the sad news is for many folks, they just don't realize that there's any other way. We sing a few songs. We bow our heads for a couple of prayers. We somehow think that we're better people for sitting through the sermon. We're doing our time. Maybe we'll get lucky and the message will inspire us or maybe our kids will be well behaved and maybe they'll pick up something from our time together. But we get caught up in just kind of going through the motions. And that's what our scripture and that's what our three-week series is talking about this morning. We're in week number two of our three-week series entitled No Rules. As we kind of declared last week, yes, certainly there are rules in life. But what Jesus was saying is that we're not saved by our actions Paul wrote to the Romans last week that you are justified by faith. You are made right by faith. Aren't we supposed to have rules? Of course, we need rules. Otherwise, there's anarchy. Do we need values? Yes, we need values. So, so, so what is all the fuss about these no rules? You see, friends, the fuss comes when our entire faith is watered down to a series of rules or regulations or rituals. It becomes about our behavior instead of about God's supernatural. You see, we may fail some of the time, but keeping rules and rituals and regulations puts the emphasis, it puts the focus not on God, but it puts the emphasis and the focus on us. Whereas being a follower of Christ puts the emphasis and the focus on Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that we're saved not by rules, not by rituals, not by regulations. We're set free by one thing, and those three words, justification by faith. We read about that in the book of Romans. Now, we're going to go back to the book of Romans this morning. I'm going to jump ahead a couple of chapters. We're going to go to chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Now, previously in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, he's talking about a couple of questions of the faith. And he talks about why we need salvation. That's in chapter 1. And then he kind of makes it clear what God is doing and why God chooses to save us and and what God has done to save us. That's in chapter 3. So remember that word justification, okay? It means to be made right. The term means that, in other words, God views us uh, not as sinners but, but as people who are completely holy, made new, because of his presence in our lives. Our, our sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. Our relationship with God is restored. Why? Is it because we earn it? No. Is it because we deserve it? No. Is it because we're good enough? No. We have been made right with God through our faith. And that's great news because that means that it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on us. That we can't earn, achieve, or obtain our salvation. That it's a free gift offered through the blood of Christ. Now, we're going to jump ahead to chapter 6 now in the book of Romans. This is deep theological stuff, okay? This is like seminary stuff, okay? So bear with me for a little bit as we walk through this because this is stuff that literally changes lives. This is not just good views. This is good news of what God is doing in your life here and now. Let's go to Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Boy, what does that mean? A lot of religious speak there, but what does that mean? It says that after we have been saved, okay, justified by our faith, 
Sin is no longer something that controls us. Those, those shackles, Paul says, have been broken off. The enemy can't use the law to hinder our progress. God has redeemed us, set us free, not because we're good little boys or girls, okay, not because we obey the letter of the law, but because of grace. We now live under the divine authority of God. So then we move to verse 15. Paul writes, what then? Shall we sin because we're now not under the law but under grace? By no means. In other words, he's kind of providing this interesting rhetorical question. He's saying, okay, if we're saved, not by our actions but by grace, let's just keep on sinning and do whatever we want because it's going to be grace that sets us free. Paul acknowledges that, yeah, that, that is kind of a crazy way of looking at things. He's saying that now we're, we're under the divine authority of God's grace. We're no longer slaves to sin, he says. And when we're transformed from sinner into saint, we don't want to go back. Which then leads us to verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, previously in this chapter, okay, Paul, he's talking about him dedicating his life to God, okay? The outcome of that dedication means that sin has been put to death. The outcome of dedication, okay, is obedience he's talking about. It's righteousness. Righteousness is this religious fancy word that means a right standing with God. So when you hear Paul talk about righteousness, that means a a right standing with God. Very similar to the word justification, okay? So he's saying that he is made righteous through grace, through his faith in Christ. Before, he says, I was a slave to sin. I was controlled by sin. I allowed sin to win in my life. And he says, that leads to death. But now I'm a slave not to sin, but to obedience. I'm a follower of God's obedience. And that leads to a godly life. Now, again, one thing I want to really emphasize, we talked about this last week. It's not our obedience that leads to our salvation. Rather, it's our salvation that leads to our obedience. It's not our actions that lead to justification, okay? We're justified by our faith, but once we are set free by Christ, once we are ruled by God, then our lives are going to look totally different than they've ever looked before. So now finally on to verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, I mean, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, okay? He's saying you used to be slaves to sin, in other words, controlled by sin. You have come to obey from your heart, What do they come to obey? He says, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. We used to be slaves to sin. In other words, someone controlled us. It was that sin we were ruled by. But now he's saying that there's freedom that comes through Christ, that that slavery is the complete opposite to the freedom that God brings about. Paul is delivering good news to the people of Rome, and that's delivering good news to you and to me this morning. He's saying, you know what? You've got freedom in your life. You may not feel like it. You may not sense it. The world may not tell you that it's there. But you have a freedom that comes through and from Christ. In verse 18, you have been set free from sin And you have become slaves to righteousness. Again, being a slave to righteousness, it means you are controlled, not by sin any longer, but by what? By righteousness. Well done. You are slaves. You are controlled. You are ruled. You are controlled by righteousness. We knew that we were sinners. Even worse, we were controlled by sin. We were slaves to sin. But righteousness, he says, is the result of following Christ. 
So Paul goes on to say that not every believer takes advantage of that freedom. He's telling the Romans that you guys, for the most part, have done a really good job with that. Uh, you're following that dedication to that righteousness. Uh, but, but, but that response to God is voluntary. It's not something that's forced or coerced. It's not about rules. It's not about even the righteousness, which comes only through Christ. But it's about the work that Christ has done on the cross and our response to that. Previously, the, the, the Jewish culture had been under the law. That means that they had to obey certain rules and certain rituals and certain regulations. They had these certain sets of things they had to, to live out. But God sent Jesus to fulfill that law on our behalf. That's what we talk about when we say that Jesus paid the ultimate penalty for you and for me. Now, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a long, long time ago, trust me. But it seems like just yesterday... I was in ninth grade at McEachern High School. It was the first day of my ninth grade year. I was 21 years old at the time. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I was 23. But in math class, they gave us the brand new textbooks. And these textbooks were these massive, heavy, thick, brand new books. You would open them up and there'd be this scent, this aroma that would come from these new textbooks. Hot off the presses, they were these massive, bulky, heavy beings. They were bigger, I think, than my first car. But I'll never forget this moment. Of all the things you remember, it's interesting how some things just kind of jump to the forefront. I remember just kind of leafing through the book, and I remember just taking it and, and looking in the very back of the book at some of the last questions, at some of the last chapters, at some of the last assignments. And I remember feeling so incredibly overwhelmed. My gosh, I don't even understand what they're asking here. I don't understand what the question is. I'm doomed. I'm going to fail. There's no way I can get through this. This problem seems so incredibly complex and mind-boggling and impossible. But, but you know what? It, it took a while. But, but luckily, we didn't start at the back of the book. We eased our way into the lessons. And by the time we eventually got there later in the semester, you know what? I was ready for it. I got it. I, I didn't do that well in the class, I'll admit. But, but I at least knew more than I did before. And I know that when we talk about being a follower of Christ, when we talk about understanding our faith, it can seem overwhelming. It can seem even a little bit at times intimidating, especially when the world has different misinterpretations of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Maybe that, that, that God's just waiting for us to, to mess up. But, 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 but Paul is telling the Romans the same thing that God is telling you and telling me today, that, that God craves victory for us. God wants us to overcome sin, not through our own actions, not through our own justification, but through the justification of faith. That God doesn't want your past to define your future. Like that brand new math book, the Bible at times can seem intimidating, but when you begin to understand that it's God's love letter to you and to me, it's a narrative of God's incredible, amazing, life-saving and life-changing grace, we see it in a whole new and, I dare say, a more accurate light. I have a, a master's degree in divinity. I have a doctorate in theology. I started a church. I've been a pastor for 15 years, but you know what? Every day I see more and more of God. There's no such thing as graduating as a follower of Christ because God is continually unveiling and revealing more and more. It never stops. We never reach a point of spiritual retirement. 
God's always on the move. Sometimes we catch that. Sometimes our eyes aren't open to it. Sometimes we're just too busy with other things that we don't take the time to notice. We have to remember that there's nothing super spiritual about Joe. But Joe is God's child and loved and led by him. There's nothing I could ever do do to, to, to follow up to the expectations that maybe the world will place on me. God is saying it's not about keeping up with the rules and the regulations and the rituals. It's about justification by faith. That perfection that God brings about. For some reason, we don't accept that or we don't claim that. You and I are saved. We're made new. We're set free, not because of anything that we ever could do, but because of what Christ has done. And so I pray that When we leave here this morning, we'll have a deeper understanding of what it means to be a child of God. For some of us, maybe it's the first time we've heard it. For some of us, maybe it's the million times we've heard it. But we need to be uh, freshly reminded of that this morning. The scripture says that God is crazy about you. That God wants you to have a deeper understanding of his grace, of his presence. And that deeper understanding comes not from man-made religion, but from the work of the Holy Spirit that God is doing in you and with you and for you and through you. So I pray that you can leave here with a sense of freedom this morning, a sense of peace, that we're called to live our lives with joy. Are we? Are you living a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of hope, a life of joy? Because if you're not, I I can tell you how you can. And I pray that you'll take us up on that invitation, one that God has been extending. Very often I know that it seems like worship is about us. We'll we'll leave and say, you know what, I I like the sermon. In most cases, I probably didn't like the sermon, but uh, the music was good this morning. I I like that. I like the singers. I I like the song choices. I like what we did. The worship was good. We, We make it about us. But the truth is, in our worship, in our time together, it's not about us. It's about us proclaiming the glory of God. God is the audience and not us. Sometimes we allow religion to get in the way of what God really wants us to experience. That worship at times becomes us going through the motions or maybe these empty rituals like the American servicemen in France who were just kind of standing up and sitting down and mouthing the prayers, going through the motions. That we get so caught up in what just feels normal and comfortable that we fail to recognize the power and the presence and the life-changing, transforming grace that is all around us. In Romans 5, 1, Paul writes, Therefore we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he says how we get that peace. It's not by being a nicer person. It's not by obeying more and more rules. It's how. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. I I know a lot of people, even a lot of believers of Christ, who, who at times don't feel that sense of peace. Even times I haven't felt a sense of peace. Maybe we don't feel peace with God, or maybe we don't feel peace with those around us, or, or maybe at times we feel like we're, we're, we're full of shame or of guilt. Maybe we're controlled by our, our bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness. Maybe feelings of low self-esteem, like we're never going to measure up. Maybe the desire to be in control, that we have to have everything in our terms, on our way. This morning, do you feel like you're coming from a place of peace? 
even if your life doesn't feel like it's going down the tubes, maybe it still feels like at times there's not that sense of peace that God wants us to have. Paul was writing to a a city known as Galatia. In Galatians 2.16, he says, Know that a man is not justified. Again, that word, that J word that keeps coming up. Man is not justified by observing the law, but how? By faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be, again, there's that term, justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by the law no one will be justified. In other words, if if you and I are left to our own devices, our own effort, our own strength, our own abilities, uh, we're going to be doomed. Being a follower of Jesus is not about behavior, it's about our belief. Now, like we said last week, when that belief is genuine, our behavior is going to follow suit. Our lives are going to produce fruit that are in keeping with that repentance that God brings about. In many cases, the world views religion as lifeless or dull or outdated. But you know what? Being a follower of Christ is about having purpose and power and joy. The world views religion as a set of tireless rules and regulations. But being a follower of Jesus is about experiencing newness and freedom. New mercies, the scripture says, every day. The world views religion as mankind's way of trying to reach up into the heavens at something bigger than ourselves. But being a follower of Jesus is about acknowledging that Jesus came down to save us. I truly believe that the most attractive presentation of the gospel is not a great sermon, not a great worship service, but rather a life that has been changed by Christ. You can't force your faith on anyone. You can't force someone to believe the way that you do. But I pray that people will see your life and they'll see something that's different. Not because of who you are in the eyes of the world, but because of whose you are in the eyes of God. Are you living your life in such a way that people have a better understanding of the justification by faith? That very often the love of Jesus isn't taught, it's caught. How are we doing it, focusing that to the folks that we encounter on a daily basis? Maybe even people under the same household, under the same roofs as we live. The world might say that religion is about rules and regulations and, again, outdated rituals, but God declares that being a follower of Christ means justification by faith, okay? Belief before behavior. I came across a, a really powerful video that just really blessed me a while back. Okay, was it a, a Hollywood blockbuster? No. Was it something that, that a church put together? No. Was it produced by some well-funded development company? No. It was just a story I saw on the evening news, but this is real-life stuff. See if you can see God in the midst of this. A few weeks ago, Steve Hartman introduced us to a young boy who found a $20 bill, converted it to a currency called kindness, and invested it with a stranger. Well, that investment has had quite a return. Here's Steve on the road. Nine-year-old Miles Eckert may be America's most reluctant celebrity. It was never his intention to be honored at civic events or posed for pictures. But for the last month, this has been his world. Thank you so much. Things are not so normal right now. We're on the right of our lives. <laughs> Tiffany is Miles' mom. I mean, I've seen stuff go viral, but usually it's like a picture of a cat, not my son. It's the craziest thing I've ever 
experience in my life. If you missed the story that started it all, Miles' adventure began here at a Cracker Barrel in Maumee, Ohio. As the security camera shows, Miles and his family entered the restaurant on February 7th at 11.14. Miles was very excited. He just found a $20 bill in the parking lot. Just sitting there? Yeah. Did you start thinking of what you could spend it on? I kind of wanted to get a video game, but then I decided not to. He changed his mind when he saw a guy in a military uniform enter the restaurant. Because he was a soldier, and soldiers remind me of my dad. And so, with his dad in mind, Miles wrapped the 20 in a note that read, Dear Soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckert, a Gold Star Kid. Army Sergeant Andy Eckert was killed in Iraq just five weeks after Miles was born. All the kid has ever had are pictures and dog tags. This is his wedding ring. Other people's memories and his own imagination. I imagined him as a really nice person and somebody that would be really fun. <laughs> the dad he imagines must also love a good story. Yeah. Because after lunch oh, that day, boy. Miles asked his mom to make one more stop. Excellent. He wanted to go see his dad. Hmm. And he wanted to go by himself that day. She took this picture from the car. Follow the footsteps and you'll see Miles standing there behind the flag. Presumably telling his dad all about it. And whether heaven heard him or not, his good deed has made a huge impression here on Earth. You've read it more than once? I look at it every day. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly of the Air National Guard is the one who got the note. Kid gave you a bigger gift than $20. Uh, a lifetime uh, uh, direction, for sure. Lieutenant Colonel Daly paid it forward by giving away the money. And that 20 has been multiplying ever since. It's exponential, it's extraordinary, it's amazing. After our story aired, a lot of people wanted to give Miles his $20 back. Right. But instead of taking any money, Ready? the Eckerts directed those donations to Snowball Express, a charity that helps kids who've lost a parent to war. So far, donations total more than a quarter of a million dollars. Somebody would be very proud. Steve Hartman, On the Road, near Toledo, Ohio. See, rules and regulations will set us up for failure. But grace, that, that unmerited love of God, leads to life. Society would tell the little boy, keep the $20, finders, keepers, buy the video game. But he had different plans, something so radical that it made the national news. I, I pray, friends, that the work that God is doing in you is making headlines, maybe not around the world, maybe not on national TV. But in the lives of those people whom you encounter on a daily basis, maybe in the ways in which you view yourselves or the ways in which you view others, the ways in which the Holy Spirit is prompting you to be more forgiving, the ways in which we're called to be more accepting, I pray that you can look for, that you can recognize, that you can appreciate the grace of God that he is lavishing upon your life. I hope that you can sense that. I hope that you can claim that to realize the victory that God wants you to live out. 
Will you pray with me? Lord, the scripture tells us that only you can save us from our sin, that only you can set us free from those things that drag us down and hold us back. And Lord, like a prisoner being released from a lonely cell, I I pray that we can understand the sacrifice that you have made for us, that we can really understand what it means to be set free. Lord, we ask you to help us to, to deal with the pain in our lives, maybe the bitterness that we carry around, maybe problems that we have in our relationships. And Father God, in this moment of stillness and silence, we ask that your Holy Spirit just meet us at the point of our deepest need. That what are those areas of our lives that need your change? Lord, we need your guidance and your direction. And I pray that we can all seek your word, Lord, as opposed to doing things in our own strength and on our own ability. And Lord, maybe many of us have laid a claim to a belief in you, but we've never lived like someone who really is set free. There are people who look at faith as something that constricts or limits us, that takes away the fun or bogs us down with rules and ritual and regulations. But Lord, we know that Jesus came to remove those views. And I pray that we can live like people who currently have been set free. Let us live our lives like someone who has been transformed, saved and changed by the love of God. Or because of the work of Christ on the cross, we have. I pray that others can notice that as well. Pray these things in Jesus' name.